You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing, and this is episode 26. Uh, Today on the podcast, I am joined uh, by Adam Gall. Adam is the co-owner, co-founder of Timber to Table Guide Service. Uh, It's a guide service out of Colorado that uh, Adam and his wife, Anna, started uh, about five years ago or so. Um, The interesting thing about their guide service is it is focused and centered around getting uh, either new, inexperienced, or first-time hunters out into the field, um, targeting primarily uh, cow, elk, uh, late season with a rifle, um, and then really, in turn, putting meat on the table. Um, and it's a, it's a cool combination that Adam and his wife have. Um, Adam is doing the guiding, and he's taking people out, um, you know, trying to teach them as much as he can about the landscape that they're hunting, you know, why elk are, are doing some of the things that they're doing, 
um, and really trying to instill as much information um, in them as they can. Uh, also, you know, why hunting uh, is important to conservation and, you know, just why these wild places in this land that these elk uh, are living in is so important and so vital. Um, and then and then after they're fortunate enough to get an animal on the ground, uh, that's where Adam's wife, Anna, steps in and she takes the client, the hunter, uh, and really goes through breaking down the elk, um, you know, shows them, you know, really the whole kind of back end process of, of uh, harvesting an animal and, you know, takes them through the different cuts and, you know, good ways to prepare it and things like that. So it's, it's a really cool and unique relationship or dynamic, I guess you could say, that, um, that Adam and Anna have uh, in terms of being able to pass along a bunch of very useful information to young or to new or first time hunters. And, and hopefully that's something that they can take into the future with them. Um, yeah, Adam is a, a Michigan guy out in Colorado. So <clears throat> it was, uh, it was definitely nice to hear his take on things and how, you know, he grew up hunting whitetails and, and how, you know, the landscape is vastly different hunting, you know, elk and mule deer, um, out there in Western Colorado. So, uh, really cool, fun episode with Adam, uh, full of a lot of great insight and you know adam is just one of those one of the good ones so i hope you guys enjoy this week's episode on the line with me today i have co-founder of two percent certified guide service timber to table adam gall adam how's it going today good thank you marcus i'm uh flattered to be on the podcast with you it's pretty cool yeah no absolutely i appreciate you making some time i know being a guide especially um you know out there in colorado this is you know, probably a pretty busy time of year for you guys. So to, uh, to cut out an hour or so of your time, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Glad, glad to do so. Yeah. So Adam, let's kind of start at the beginning here. So tell me about Timber to Table, uh, guide service, um, what it's all about, what you guys offer. Um, yeah, kind of take me through that. Yeah. Uh, we, my wife, Anastasia and myself started, uh, the business, I, I think it was about 2015. Um, and we had, it was, I guess, born from a few different things. Number one, I'd been guiding for other outfitters for a while. And I was at a point where I wanted to start our own operation and kind of do things maybe a little bit differently based on what I'd been experiencing in the you know, traditional guide world our outfitting model. So that was one incentive. The other incentive, if you recall back in 2015, there was quite a bit of the public lands transition stuff, uh, selling off public lands. There was a lot of rhetoric going around at that time. Um, because of that, that was sort of an inspiration as far as like, Hey, what, what can we do on an individual level to kind of promote and, and open people's eyes uh, beyond just, you know, the everyday hunter um, and try to bring in more people into the fold to be public land stewards and to speak out on behalf of their public lands. Uh, so that was also another motivator for starting the business. And lastly, um, my wife uh, has some really good butchering skills. And so uh, being able to bring her skill set into the business model. Um, all those things just kind of tied together 
uh, and we created Timber to Table Guide Service, which is basically a guide service that focuses quite a bit on new hunters, uh, folks that have never done it before, uh, whether they're a 12-year-old kid or a 40-year-old soccer mom or a 70-year-old retiree. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, we'll guide anybody, um, but we kind of have a big emphasis on new hunters. Um, and we put a big spotlight on food and education, so teaching people I, my job is kind of teach people as much as possible about the hunting components. So elk, elk behavior, um, hunting skills, you know, field skills, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my wife, if, if I do my job, then, you know, Anna takes over and, and teaches our hunters literally how to break down their animal. We, we butcher the animal right here in our barn, um, and uh, the hunter goes through every single cut with my wife and I. Um, and so it's a pretty, uh, after five days, uh, there's quite a bit of knowledge that gets poured into the hunter's head that hopefully they carry with them uh, from being a good ethical hunter to being a good public land steward to appreciating and knowing a little bit more about the wildlife that, that we're fortunate enough to pursue. Um and I, I think that's, I should probably shut up right there because that was a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, long-winded is good because I, what I found is, is you know, when you're, when you're talking to people or even the couple of times I've been able to be a guest on some other podcasts is when all said and done, you go, oh man, I forgot to mention this or I, I should have mentioned this. So don't feel like you need to cut yourself off here, you know, because um, sure, everything yeah. is important. and. One of the things that you mentioned that I think is super cool um, is, you know, the fact that you started it with your wife there and that she is the one that's taking all of these hunters and clients through the process of breaking down the animal, you know, the different cuts. Uh, I would assume, you know, how to handle the meat, how to, you know, care for the meat and, and everything like that, because I think that that's one of the aspects that a lot of people tend to overlook is is the breaking down of the animal you know i th i think a lot of people say you know the hunt doesn't really start so you get the animal on the ground right true no i think those are pretty accurate words um and yeah that's what we've found uh over the years here is that people at least the folks that are trying to book hunts with timber to table um because it's it's pretty much just cow elk hunts, uh, we do have a sister operation that is more of a traditional outfitting business where we're chasing bulls on public land. But these timber-to-table hunts are specifically geared towards a cow elk and a high, high opportunity rate for the hunter so they have a good positive first experience. And those hunters, and, and I'm kind of in the same ballpark, they're not as concerned with antlers or a score on the antlers or whatever. It's I want meat and I want to understand how to break this animal down. So I know what I'm putting on the table and, and they're able to have that knowledge and carry it forward. And that's a real, it's a cool thing um, on a lot of different levels, uh, just cause it's at the end of the day, hunting is about putting food on the table. Right. Um, and I think, I think, well, I don't think. I know that this, the pendulum has swung more so in that direction. Um, I think thanks to folks like Hank Shaw and Ranella 
and Callahan and, and those that whole meat eater contingency, um, they've really brought some of that into the fold of everyday discussion. You know that hunting is about the food, and it's not so much just going out and killing the biggest bull or the biggest buck, which I still love doing. Don't get me wrong, I love antlers <laughs> as much as anybody. But um, but at the end of the day, it's about the food, and so uh, having those folks that have that same sentiment or that's what they're in it for. Um, it's, it's good to see. I think, uh, it's, it's a cool thing. Yeah. And I think that that's a, you kind of met, you kind of touched on it there. That's a great introduction for first time hunters because it, it allows them to understand, you know, the main reason for, for hunting and, you know, conservation gets tied into all that with, you know, herd management, uh, and things like that. So, from the onset for some of these people to understand that, you know, this is why we're doing this. It, it, I think, I feel like it gives them an, a sense of appreciation or a better sense, a better understanding of something that, you know, other hunters, it may take them a while to learn, or, you know, maybe people start off hunting, maybe just for the trophy or, you know, that's not the right word, but for the antlers, you know, they're out there chasing the big bulls and they just go all this time, you know, and, elk hunting is, is super tough, right? And it, you, you know, you can go years without, you know, getting a crack at a good bull. Um, so I got to imagine that it instills a lot of confidence. Um, and you know, that confidence is only going to, you know, grow as time goes on and it's just going to further entrench them into, you know, the hunting world and just, you know, that, that lifestyle of living off the land and, you know, being able to give back and preserve wildlife and nature. Yeah, that's the hope. And, um, with be it elk or deer antelope or turkeys or whatever uh as time has gone on and i've gotten more mature with mature being in air quotes there for sure um (laughs) but uh what i've come to definitely realize is that whether you kill a six-point bull or a yearling cow or a white-tailed doe or whatever they are all trophies. Um, they're all deserving of equal respect. Sure, antlers are cool, but all those animals, when you when you take when you take them out of this world to put into your freezer, it, it doesn't matter how big or what's on their head or whatever. None of that stuff really matters. I think what counts is having the respect and appreciation for the wildlife resource that we're so blessed with here in this country. And, and hopefully that message stays with the hunter, um, throughout the rest of their time being a hunter. Um, cause I think once you lose that, uh, it's not a good place to be, uh, because then all of a sudden you don't, you don't care about the resource. You don't care about the meat that it provides. You don't care about taking care of the land, whether it's public or private. Um, so yeah, to me, instilling respect for the animals and and the land that they require, uh, that's right at the top of the list as far as what we try to get across to our hunters. Now, are you able to kind of have these conversations throughout the the course of a hunt where you're talking about, you know, why maybe the elk are, you know, 
I'm assuming a lot of these cow hunts are, are more in the later season. So talking about like, you know, travel corridors, you know, bedding, you know, food sources and stuff like that. Are you able to have kind of this big picture conversation with, uh, with the hunters? Absolutely. Yeah. That kind of circles back to what, um, my job is, uh, during the hunt, uh, versus what Anna's job is. Um, so yeah, what I tried from day one, you know, when the hunters arrive, um, for the timber to table hunts, we, you know, we get their license and then we go out to the shooting range and make sure they're comfortable and their rifle's still on and all that good stuff. Um, so they're shooting accurate. Uh, and then we'll come back and have dinner, you know, the evening before their hunt starts. And it's that time that I'll usually kind of run through the nuts and bolts of a, a pre-hunt safety talk where it's like, Hey, here, here are the shots that we take. Here's the shots that we do not take. Um, here's what to expect in the field as far as elk behavior. Here's why we're conducting these hunts. A lot of the timber to table hunts are through the damage control program with the state, uh, which in a nutshell, there's, there's places where elk uh, will congregate here where we live, uh, where the landowners don't necessarily want them because they have a livestock operation. Okay. Uh, so the state, the state will issue uh, that rancher or, or landowner damage control vouchers, which we can then redeem for a hunting license. And it helps push the elk off that property, uh, redistribute them a little bit. Granted, they might come back in another week, but it keeps the elk from just sitting there and hammering on one chunk of private ground all winter long. So we talk a little bit about that uh, with the hunters so they understand the role that we're playing. Um, and then we definitely talk about uh, the biology and ecology of the elk. Like, hey, this is this is what they're doing this time of year. Here's where they bed up in the BLM, up in the junipers, and they come down through these draws, cottonwood draws, and feed in the hay fields at night, and then circle back out in the morning. And, and that's just kind of where they move. Um, so we definitely try. I try to dump as I'm a, I'm a former science teacher and former wildlife biologist, so I geek out on that stuff probably way more than the average person. Um, so I try to dump as much of that into their head as they are willing to take. And obviously uh, not everyone wants to hear Adam drone on and on about elk behavior <laughs> for five days. So I got to temper it a little bit depending on, on who the, the hunter is. But if they're open to it, man, I will – talk about elk till the cows come home no pun intended but, um. <laughs> no that's that's a good thing though and i think that you know especially for for newer um hunters like they need to hear those kinds of things i think they need to to have a better understanding and even if all they're doing is is just kind of retaining that information it, maybe it's not clicking it's not it doesn't mean a whole lot to them especially if they haven't been into the field yet but maybe two years down the road, they decide to give, you know, take a crack at going out by themselves. Well, now they think back to the conversation that, you know, that, that you had with them in the three or four or five days hunting with them and all that information starts to, to kind of click and starts to make a bit more sense. So I think that, yeah, even if they may not seem super interested at the time, I think it's definitely valuable information that, that will get passed on and, and hopefully, you know, kind of show it's, 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 or it, what's it'll become very useful when the time is right. 
Yeah, and that, again, kind of going back to the, the first question, why we started Timber to Table or how we started it, that ultimately was, was one of the goals was, hey, most, and I always joke, it's a horrible business model for an outfitter because usually the outfitter wants to have return clients every year. Right. But my motivation was to get as many new hunters coming through that hunt with us for a season or, or maybe two, but eventually we teach them enough and they get educated enough and have enough confidence and tools in their tool belt. Or yeah, I, I went on one guided hunt with Adam and I killed a cow and now I'm ready to go do it yourself on, you know, the Clearwater National Forest in Idaho or whatever and, and go start having their own do-it-yourself adventures for the rest of their days. That was my motivation because now that person is going to become a public lands hunter. They're going to become more conscientious about their public lands. They're going to be more inclined to write a letter to their congressman or congresswoman or representative or whatever and speak out on behalf of our public lands and in defense of them. And that was sort of the imp- one of the big impetuses for getting the ball rolling with Timber to Table is, is to create more do-it-yourselfers, which again, like I say, it's a bad business model for the outfitter. <laughs> but I think, I think in the big picture, it's, it's the better thing to be doing. And in the long game, we'll have uh, a more positive ripple effect on on the big picture stuff. Yeah. And you, you touch on something there that I think makes, it makes a ton of sense to me where you said the goal, you know, you you talked about the goals and, and wanting to, to introduce people to hunting and understanding of, you know, our wild places, our public lands and, and be able to take that and further, you know, kind of further the mission of, of being a public land steward, um, on their own. And so with that, and then being, 2% 2% certified, which timber to table is, I mean, that all makes complete sense. If you just kind of put together, combine those two elements, you have, you know, you're in nature, what you're doing is, is taking from the land by harvesting animals, but you're doing it in such a way that you're, you know, preaching the, the conservation ethic of it and how to do it the right way and instilling all these things into your customers. And then at the same time, taking, you know, portions of, of the money that are coming in from these customers and then redistributing it back out to, to conservation, you know, various conservation organizations. So really you kind of are almost taking like a two prong approach to, to conservation as a whole, when it comes to timber to table. Marcus, there are times when it feels like a 10 prong approach. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I would, I would agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that that's, that really, to me, you know, I've had a few different guide services on um, on the podcast since we started, and and actually one of my most recent ones uh, was a, a guide service out of Scotland, um, and they kind of have what what sounds like you know big picture wise a similar operation to you and your wife there, um, where you know they're taking their clients out, but then they're also once they they get a their animal back to back to the lodge, you know they're walking the customer, their client, the hunter, they're walking them through, breaking it down, the different cuts, they're doing all that. So they're, the hunter is really getting this full experience of what being a hunter is like. And, you know, your name, Timber to Table, I mean, it kind of, it, it explains it very, you know, very well in the title. Yeah. 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 I think I saw actually the, 
um, the ad for that Scottish outfitter. I just haven't had a chance to, this kind of a busy time, I haven't had a chance to listen to that one, but I'd be curious to hear uh, what they're, what they're doing over there. Yeah. And so they almost, I mean, just without, I'll, I'll let you listen to it. I don't want to go ahead and go down that road. So Adam, how was it that you were really introduced to the outdoors? I mean, what did, I'm assuming, you know, if you were guiding for a long time, maybe you were introduced at a young age. What did that look like for you? Um, uh, I was a little bit different. I didn't grow up in a hunting or fishing family. I was born in Michigan. Um, where about lower peninsula? Uh, I was, I grew up in a little town. It used to be a little town called Caledonia. I was born in Grand Rapids, uh, was the closest big city. Um, so kind of the Southwest part of the lower peninsula. Um, Caledonia was the town I grew up in. Yeah. All right. And my, yeah, no, nobody in my family hunted or fished, but, um, my, probably one of my lifelong best friends, his dad was very, very much into hunting and fishing and trapping and camping. Um, so really I owe that to, um, Mr. Smith, uh, who still lives outside of Caledonia. Um, he got me, you know, he was the first one to bring me deer hunting and rabbit hunting and pheasant hunting um, there in Michigan and camping and fishing on the Coldwater River and all that stuff. So um, so that's how I got started. I, I obviously owe a big thanks to my mom and dad because they basically let me go out with my friend and his dad just about every weekend that I was able to um, and, and do that stuff. So they're the ones that really kind of got me going on it. Um, and then I think when I was 20, I moved to Idaho. I got hired on to a fire crew, um, on the, with the forest service. And that was my first real, uh, introduction, I guess you could say to what public lands were. Um, cause prior to that, you know, in Michigan, I was hunting Mrs. Coondy's 80 acre hardwood swamp, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, I know how that goes. And then all, yeah. It, which was great. I mean, I, I loved it. It was awesome. But then all of a sudden, you know, you bop into the national forest world, especially there in North central Idaho. And it's just massive. And, right. uh, I pretty much knew that that was where I wanted to be and, and what I wanted to be involved in and, um, not much has changed since then. So, so that was sort of, and it, and obviously once I moved out to Idaho, the, that's where I was able to get introduced to elk hunting. And that's when I really started bow hunting with a lot more seriousness and, um, got into it full bore at that point. Cause I, I didn't really have school to contend with. And I did finish college. I, I was tempted to drop out cause, uh, I had a good job with the fire crew and I loved where I was living. And I was like, man, I don't need, I don't need this school stuff. <laughs> but, uh, luckily, uh, my folks, uh, I, I took a few semesters off, but I, I did eventually get my degree and, and finish school, which I'm glad I did. So, uh, so that was a wise move there, but, but yeah, uh, as soon as that was done, then I was pretty much on board with chasing animals on the national forest as much as I could and spending as much time, uh, in that world as possible. Everything else just kind of fell away. And, and that was really all that I wanted to do. Yeah. Now you said 
um, Timber to Table has a, a sister um, company, which um, Dark Timber Outfitters, is that correct? I believe that's what I saw on the website yeah, there. Dark... So, no, did you guys start yeah. Dark Timber first, or was t- um, Timber to Table started first? Yeah, Timber to Table was, was the initial thing, and we just were doing those late-season cow elk hunts. And I would say from the first season um, – the interest in those kind of hunts far exceeded what we were able to, to provide. Uh, we just couldn't meet the demand. And so it was, you know, in talking with Anna, it was like, Hey, we need to, we need to expand here. Like this is crazy. And so it turned out there was a, a permit um, on the Uncompagre national forest uh, south of us, just a little ways uh, that came available in uh, right time, right place, and I was able to pick that up. And Dark Timber Outfitters is what that became. Um, and that is more, like I said earlier, it's kind of more what you would think of as your traditional guided elk hunt where, you know, you go out with a guide and most folks are looking for a bull. Um, we don't put the big emphasis on the food and processing that we do with the timber to table hunts. They're more of you know, the hunter hopefully kills an elk. Um, we pack it out for them, and, and that concludes their their hunt. Um, we still work really hard, um, and I emphasize this to all the guides that that I hire. They've got to be able to get the knowledge and, and educational components across to our hunters, because even with dark timber we still, I would say 80% of the people that hunt with us have never hunted elk before, or they're brand new to hunting. And so, um, which is awesome. Um, I I love it, but it, it still motivates me to whether I'm the guide or Eli or Marshall or Brandon or whoever, like, Hey guys, you know, make sure you're explaining to your hunters, why you're bugling or why you're not bugling or why we're setting up on, you know, this wallow or whatever, um, you know, let them ask questions and make sure you're answering questions. And, um, to me that just adds so much more to the hunt. You're not just walking behind some guide, you know, doing what they tell you to do there. It's more engaging and interactive. And I think that's going to make it more fun. And plus you're going to learn more. Um, so, so yeah, a little bit different twist with dark timber, but, um, but we still try to drive home as much of the education stuff as possible and have a good time. I mean, I'm not just sitting there with a chalkboard lecturing about health for five days. <laughs> the teacher's not um, coming out on you in that regard, eh? Not well, I mean, it still does, but you know, not, I, I still want to have a good time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what being outdoors and that's what hunting should be. It should be a good time supposed to be fun yeah now that's so that's interesting to me that you said that you know probably roughly 80 percent of the guys that come through you know dark timber there are you know either very new in their hunting career or first-time hunters you know and i've to be able to to head out west and, and elk hunt is something i've been really kind of pining over for the last i don't know five years and it just it hasn't materialized I mean, you know young kids uh you know stuff like that just it, it's tough you know, leaving them at home for, you know, potentially seven to 10 days, um, 
Oh, I know. I'm I'm in the same boat, man. I got a three year old and a seven year old. It's it's hard to leave. Yeah, and you know, I I kind of me personally, I go back and forth on wanting to, you know, try the the do it yourself approach, right? I mean, I, I know a lot of people that have done it, and everyone, you know, they they just love the experience because and the adventure because that's you know that's what it is. It's it's an experience. Um, and every time you go out, it's a learning process, right? You learn, you know, I, I talked to my buddies here in Michigan that, that go out to Colorado and have been doing this for four or five years. And, you know, they, they haven't, you know, put anything on the ground yet, but they're, you know, he tells me, you know, we learn so much every year and this and that. And I think that's great, but there's also part of me that's really interested in, you know, going out with a guide and kind of shortening that learning curve a little bit for, for a year, just to have a better understanding with with firsthand experience with a guide who's been doing this, who this is their job, right? And I feel like you can just absorb so much more in, in, in kind of a shorter time period, you know? Yeah, and that's what you just said uh, is not that far off from what a lot of the folks that come hunting with us, that's what they say. It's like, look, I know I could probably do this myself in quote unquote, spin their, spin their wheels, you know, for several seasons and whatever, but their attitude is what if I shortened that learning curve and, and got information directly from the horse's mouth and watched a guide operate and, and glean some of that knowledge and some of their skills uh, that I can then take with me the following year. So yeah, you're, you're not alone in, uh, in the thought process there. That's what a lot of folks kind of what helps them decide, I guess, to, to go with an outfitter. And to me, it makes sense. You know, it's like, Hey, we're, we're here and we know how the elk operate for the most part, you know, on the landscape in this area that we're permitted in. Um, and there's going to be the little intangibles, like say during archery hunt, where it's the new archery hunter who may have killed 15, 20 deer with his bow or her bow. Um, but this is their first elk hunt and they don't realize, you know, even when a bull elk is 30 yards away, you can still get away with doing this or get away with doing that to help get a shot off where otherwise on a deer hunt, there's no way you dream of doing that. So it's, there are definitely lots of little things like that, that being on a guided hunt, um, can, can help you with, I guess, or again, kind of use the analogy of put a few more tools, uh, in the tool belt for uh, the hunter to go forward with. Yeah. And I would imagine, and I've, I've heard a lot of people say what you, what you just said there was, you know, you can get away with so much more, it's kind of a broad term, but so much more movement or, or anything like that with, with elk that to a degree, <laughs> to a degree right. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, you know, you, you grew up hunting whitetails, you know, I, that's, you know, I, I love hunting whitetails and the things that, yeah, you can't get away with on a whitetail stand or in a blind or whatever the case is that, yeah, you could probably get away with, um, hunting elk. Yeah. There's, I, I got to imagine that's pretty eye opening for someone like me who would be coming from the Midwest having, you know, only hunted whitetail with my bow. Yeah. And I, and I, I should be careful not to make it sound like, um, you know, some, cocky know-it-all no. like, oh yeah you can <laughs> you're gonna tip over an elk every time i mean there it's uh they almost always get the better 
of you. Um, yeah. And there's just those times when everything comes together and it, and it works out. But, but yeah, uh, there are, there are differences, um, you know, between hunting the species. Um, there's similarities too, you know, but um, elk are, elk are a different animal for yeah. sure. They're amazing. Yeah. And I would imagine kind of going back to what we were talking about with, with kind of shortening that learning curve a little bit. If you take someone like me, who's, who's coming from out of state and, and comes out to Colorado for, you know, three or four years. And, and like you said, kind of not necessarily spinning your wheels, but just adding more information every time you go out and you go out and what you're going to spend in four or five years of, you know, whether you're driving out there, flying out there, whatever the case is, the, the cost of that trip over four or five years is, you know, comparable or more than what you're going to pay for one year with a guide and learning all that knowledge. So I definitely see the, the advantages to, um, to going out, uh, you know, with a guide. And, and I think it's, it's a great way for someone who really wants to get immersed in, you know, Western hunting to, to learn from people who do it for a living. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, and yeah, we do on that end, we do try to, uh, we do try to keep our hunt rates pretty approachable. Um, especially on the timber to table hunts, just cause again, the, the big picture is to make it approachable for anybody, you know, um, a 12 year old kid is not going to be able to afford an $8,000 guided elk hunt, you know? Right. Um, but you know, a $2,500 cow elk hunt that the mother can come along or the dad or whoever can participate as a non-hunting guest for, for 2,500 bucks. That that's something that, uh, in our opinion is definitely much more approachable. Um, and that's the point. We're not trying to deter, anybody you know we want to make it uh, possible for anyone who has interest to to try it and and not be afraid or give them a reason to not do it yeah so that's one of the things that i wanted to to ask you about as well as on your um on your website you, you kind of almost encourage um a hunter to bring um you know maybe a close friend or a family member along and i think i th- when i read that i was like man that's that's so awesome because i think about you know when when you're hunting and at least again this kind of goes back to the whitetail hunter and me is you know you're doing it all by yourself essentially like you're in the stand by yourself you're you know for the most part probably recovering the deer by yourself unless you know you have you know maybe a buddy hunting the property with you or someone you can call but that that emotion of letting the arrow go you know tracking the deer you know you know recovering it like that's that's all such a you know whirlwind of emotion and you know, I, I think back to the deer I shot last year and luckily I was fortunate enough that my brother-in-law was, was on the property with me and, you know, it was, I shot it in the evening, so I recovered it all by myself, but to be able to experience that with him and, you know, just all of that, like, and for you to encourage that with the hunters, I think is awesome because it's, unless you've done it, it's, it's very hard to put into words the, the joy and, and everything that goes along with that. And, you know, not only the joy, but kind of the, the emotional toll it takes on you for taking an animal's life too, because that's, that's no easy feat. And I think sometimes, um, the experienced hunters in us, we, we tend to kind of, I don't want to say we're, we're hardened to it, but we, we come to understand what that looks like. And for newer hunters, that's, that's a, that can be a really difficult process in, in the hunt, especially your first time out. 
Yeah, for sure. And that is something that I try to, I try to make a mental note of every time, you know, if we have a hunter that's, that's able to, to kill an animal, you know, obviously when we get up to it, the, the first and foremost thing is I don't care how the hunter says it or does it, but I give them a moment where they're with the animal just themselves and and they got to say, thank you. Um, I think that's a a pretty paramount thing just in terms of, um, showing respect and, and appreciating, uh, what you just did and, and the life that you just took. Um, so yeah, that's a big one. And having the family component, uh, it's awesome. Honestly, it's, uh, it's a really cool thing. But just last during second rifle, we had a 15 year old girl. Um, it was her first elk hunt and her dad and grandpa both came along. Um, the grandpa didn't go out in the field except for one evening hunt. Um, just cause he was a little bit older, but the dad was with his daughter, you know, through the whole week and just, I like watching that because it's like, man, that's a really cool thing that they're getting to do as, you know, parent-child relations or or whatever it might be. So, um, and for all the reasons you just stated, you know, where it's, it's someone that you just shared potentially one of the most powerful experiences. Taking a life is no joke, you know, and uh, being able to, not sure what the right word is. Share is kind of not the right word, but it's the only thing I can think of being able to share that experience with someone that you love or you're close with. Uh, it just adds that much more meaning, um, and appreciation to the experience. So that's why, especially on these timber to table hunts, we encourage if if they want, we encourage them to bring a, a partner or loved one or whoever along, um, for the, for all those reasons. Yeah. I, I think that is, that's a, that's a tremendous thing to, to share because, you know, I think you think back on, on hunting in, in its earliest forms or, you know, how, especially here in Michigan, I mean, you know what the, the culture, the hunting culture is like here growing up with it, that it's, it's, it's a tradition, right? It's something that, you know, in, in oh, yeah. a lot of cases yeah. is passed down from generation to generation, you know, you know, you go to deer camp with your dad and your grandpa as, you know, a young teen or, or even younger, whether you're hunting or not. And you just, you experience that, that camaraderie that goes along with it. So to be able to add that element to, to a hunt like this is, is awesome. And I, and I love that, that, uh, that you guys are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It's not something that, um, folks recognize that often. So thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, absolutely. So, now, obviously, a little bit of a transition here. You guys are, um, we talked about it earlier, but um, Timber to Table is a, a 2% certified um, guide service. So how was it that you um, first learned about 2% cons- 2% for conservation? I think, I want to say I ran into Jared at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous um, years back. I want to say it was kind of right when they were kind of getting going with the organization. Um, 
and it just sort of struck me as a, I've always been pretty conservation minded um, and seeing what what they were doing and putting together it just sort of struck me as a a good thing and um, yeah I think I signed up shortly thereafter uh, I, I can't quite remember the time frame of everything but that was I'm pretty sure it was a BHA rendezvous that I first heard of and, and saw 2% for conservation. Yeah, if you want to talk about um, a, a time and a place for a lot of like-minded conservationists to be together, something like the BHA rendezvous is uh, is definitely it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, those have turned into a pretty exceptional gathering for sure. It's, it's a powerful, energetic experience. Yeah. It's a good thing. Now, what are some of the, the organizations that you guys are giving um, your time and money back to uh, as far as conservation goes? Uh, the big ones, I would say, are well, obviously backcountry hunters and anglers. I'm pretty heavily involved with them um, on a multitude of things. Uh, just In fact, just coming up here, and not this weekend, but the following weekend, the weekend of November 13, 14, 15, we're hosting uh, the Hunting for Sustainability program, again, which is a BHA course uh, aimed at new hunters, like brand new hunters. Um, and we host that here at our house. And uh, I won't go into all the, the details of it, but it's an outstanding program. Uh, I think they do them in Montana and Idaho as well. I think this will be the third, the third or fourth year. I think it's maybe the third year that we've done it here. Um, so we're hosting that. So backcountry hunters and anglers is something that I'm involved with. We just donated a hunt um, that also starts this weekend for an auction with backcountry hunters and anglers. I serve on the state board with backcountry hunters and anglers. Uh, so they're pretty big on our radar. And then beyond that, I would say the other big one is with the state, with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I serve on a couple different boards, the Habitat Partnership Program here in the North Fork Valley, um, which helps mitigate livestock and wildlife conflicts, working with private landowners. Um, and then I'm also on the roundtable, the sports person's roundtable, uh, with CPW, uh, where I serve as the uh, an outfitter representative uh, for the, the Southwest region, so which is an awesome thing. I, I really love being on those boards. is really cool, just because you get a ton of insight into what the state has to deal with from a wildlife management perspective and budgetary issues and the social and biological balancing act that they have to do. Um, so those are, uh, those are some of the main ones, I guess, that, um, yeah. that I try to give back. And that, um, I it's mean, enough. <laughs> well, I, bet, I mean, yes, I, I would imagine And Jared and I have talked about this, you know, serving on, on multiple boards, um, for multiple organizations, uh, I mean, that that's it's a time commitment in and of itself, you know, let alone, you know, running a, a full time guide business. So, you know, kudos to you for for being as involved 
as you can with as many different things as you can to, to help further the mission of, you know, public lands and, and conservation. Yeah, well, and I would be uh, way out of line if I didn't uh, say that I am fortunate enough to be married to a woman who allows me to do all that stuff. She's uh, a superhuman being and a super mom. Um, so that none of that stuff and nothing that we've talked about would even be um, doable without Anna's support and, and help. So uh, from that end, I'm, I'm extremely, I'm, I'm lucky on a lot of levels. We, we all are, but, um, but yeah, I, I lucked out for sure. Yeah. Shout out to, to all the, the moms and wives out there because especially <laughs> once hunting season comes, man, they're the unsung heroes, whether, you know, if, if, if you're fortunate enough to, to have a spouse or a partner that loves to get out in the field with you and partake, that's awesome. But if for some reason, you know, that's that's just not what they want to do and, and they're, you know, left at home with, with the kids and holding down the fort while, you know, us uh, us other hunters and things like that are, are out in the field, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, they are the unsung heroes and, and they deserve a ton, a ton of credit for for all that they do to to allow us to uh, be able to you know pursue animals. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a balance, and and it's yeah. I mean, it's um, it's not like I'm dying to get away. I mean, that's not the reason. You know, I love I love what I do, and I love being involved. I love wildlife and public lands. Um, but man, you know, especially this time of year when I've been gone quite a bit already with guiding, it's, it gets harder and harder to pull out of the driveway you know and, yeah um you, you you miss your kids and you miss your wife and you miss just sitting on the couch in front of the wood stove reading a book you know and yeah you miss um, you miss the chaos that's at home sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah even though when you're in it it's like oh my god <laughs> yeah don't i have a hunt coming but, up here <laughs> right, exactly uh, so yeah it's, it's a balance for sure but yeah. um but it's yeah it it's all uh it all, it's, yeah, it's all, it all works out. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Hey Adam, I really appreciate you taking some time to, to hop on the podcast today to tell us about timber to table and, you know, kind of walk us through, you know, your journey into hunting and into the guiding and then, you know, what you and your wife are doing there, exposing, you know, new hunters to, to elk hunting and the outdoors and the sustainability that comes along with it, along with, you know, teaching them, you know, and instilling in them how to become public land stewards is, is awesome. And, you know, I wish that there were a lot more, you know, guide services and people out there like you, because, you know, you guys are, are doing it the right way and, and you're making sure that people that, you know, you guys are fortunate enough to take out that, you know, when they move beyond the hunt with you guys, that they're doing it the right way as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, for all of that that you just said uh thank you very much for the opportunity and um and yeah hopefully people are able to to keep plugging in, in the right direction you know once they have spent some time with us and and uh thank you as well to what what you guys are doing uh with the two percent uh organization it's um from what i can gather it's definitely gaining momentum each day it seems like and uh, it seems like there's a new business that signed up um and what i think is cool from that end is it's it's uh, it spans a wide bandwidth you know the people that i see that are signing up as 
2% certified are, are not just hunting or fishing people. Like they're, they're all over the spectrum, which, um, that to me is really cool uh, and encouraging, uh, as well. So thanks for what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. And to, you know, the main point of this podcast is to be able to, to share with, you know, with the listeners and with people out there, all the different people that, that love conservation, right? I mean, it's not just a, like you, like you just said, it's not just a, for hunters or for anglers. I mean, we have a, a company who I haven't got them. Yeah. I haven't got them <laughs> on the podcast yet, but you know, they're a piano repair company. I mean, that has that, that's the furthest thing from hunting or angling <laughs> or anything like that. Right. But they still, you know, give money back to conservation. So it, it's very cool to see, like you just said, all the different, you know, brands and companies and, and everything like that, that, you know, support conservation. It's, uh, it's, it's truly inspiring. Yeah. You know, and much needed. I don't think it's gonna, the need for it is only going to increase, you know, as, as time continues to go on here. So, uh, the more people that are on board and, and involved and speaking up, the better in my humble opinion. So no, I, I, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, all right, Adam. Well, uh, you take care of yourself. Enjoy the rest of your season, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Marcus. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Adam. Okay. Well, a big thanks to Adam for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, I'd like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier. Be sure and check them out at stoneglacier.com. Also like to thank our partners over at 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you support when you shop for, you know, any of the uh, potential gear or items or really anything um, else that you would need. Uh, I encourage you guys also to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be nothing but very positive conservation-driven content coming out of their various feeds and pages. Uh, so again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on their social medias or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you. Mm-hmm.